How are y'all? Good. Yeah, we good? All right, good deal, good deal. Good to be with you all. Uh, we're kind of rounding third base here with our Genesis series, so we're excited. Y'all enjoy the series so far? All right, good deal. 17 people. The rest of y'all are like, I'm ready to move on from this joint. That's all right. I hope it has been encouraging. Hey, Sly, thank you, ma'am. Um, yeah, really good to be here. And uh, just so that you guys know, obviously, we really care about Campbell wanting to bless this school. Uh, even this past Thursday, we had a teacher appreciation uh, bre- uh, breakfast and kind of came in and uh, showered them with a bunch of food and tacos and donuts and all that stuff. And uh, one of the things that I heard over and over and over again was how appreciative they were of the well. Uh, in fact, it almost felt like they were like commanded to say that by their principal or something because like every teacher was coming in, but it was, I mean, you could tell it was genuine. Just the way that you guys have blessed this school is just a huge piece of obviously reaching this community, hopefully with the gospel. And so uh, we say the well exists uh, to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world for the glory of God. That impact the world piece is a really important piece of who we are is that we don't wanna just exist for ourselves and to build up ourselves, rather to bless those around us. And one of the ways we want to do that is by serving Austin. And one of the main ways we do that is here at Campbell. And so you'll hear as the school year starts up, different opportunities for us just to get involved and to hopefully allow the gospel to flourish here uh, in this school. And even just the presence of God, just the goodness of God, uh, that it would be present here amongst these kids. So we don't want to just consume. We want to be a blessing to those around us, as we talked about last week. All right. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Genesis uh, 49 today. We're going to do something a little bit differently with the Bibles, and I'm going to explain it each week uh, for about three or four weeks here, here on out, so that you know even why we're doing this. So before this week, we used to keep the Bibles under every second and third chair, uh, and you were used to hearing the same kind of speech, and you filled out your communication card then because you knew it, right? Uh, But we learned that that for some people uh, of different faiths, uh, that that was actually somewhat of a disrespectful uh, way in which we treat our Bibles, was to put them on the floor. And even some people who don't have a particular religious faith, they just kind of thought that that was just uh, somewhat disrespectful, particularly uh, from the Muslim faith where they really hold uh, their words of God very seriously. And so uh, I've actually been told by Todd and others that they were unable to invite people uh, to the church just because of the Bibles. Once they saw that, they would probably not really listen to almost anything else that was said because of when they saw the way that it was treated. Now, we know that the Bible is the very word of God, and we hold it very, very seriously. We also know that this physical book is not important in and of itself. It's just a physical book. It's the words inside of it that create life for us. And so uh, how we treat this particular book doesn't say much. It's what we do with the words that are inside of it that are important. However, man, woe to us if we would create a stumbling block for any person to be able to hear the good news of the gospel. Amen. And so what we felt like was, hey, why would we prevent even just one person from being able to hear about who the Lord is? Now, obviously, bringing people to church is not the only way upon which people can hear the gospel, but it's a beautiful way. You get to sit under the word for 40 minutes and hear fellowship and worship and all of that. And man, the gospel is already in and of itself a stumbling block at times, is it not? Like Christ calls us to pick up our cross, to follow him, to die to ourselves, to confess faith, to say we are needy people. That is a stumbling block in and of itself, and we don't want to create any other stumbling blocks. And so uh, we wanted to remove the Bibles off of the floor, and what is going to happen is uh, the ushers are actually going to come forward, and they're going to give you guys uh, Bibles. So if you need them, you could just slip your hand up a little bit as they're passing by, and they'll pass it down the row, okay? Don't feel guilty you didn't bring your Bible. Like, my wife forgets half the time, all right? And so she's a pastor's wife, so it's okay. So the ushers come forward. If you need a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand, all right? Uh, And we're going to do that just for the next couple of weeks, just so that, uh, yeah, there's no stumbling block, okay? Um, Does that make sense? 
You tracking with that? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you have your Bibles, go ahead, Genesis uh, 49. If you don't own a Bible, that one that we're giving you, man, please take and keep that. That's our gift to you. All right, we still want you to have the word. You can take that with you, uh, and then you can just leave that on top of the chair when you're done. Uh, and if you leave, if you do not need a physical Bible. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you have the version app. Underneath the tab section, uh, click on events, type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way. You can also take this link right here and put it right into your browser, uh, and you can follow along that way as well. Uh, there are all the scriptures, all the notes, all of those things. We still say this every week because we mean this very sincerely, is that we want your eyes on the word, okay? We want you to see we're not making this up or trying to be cute with the text. Like, we really genuinely think that these are the words of God written to us and that this is what transforms our life. This is how we understand who God is. Is primarily is through his word, all right? So Genesis 49, the sons are in Egypt, okay? Jacob is about to die, uh, and what he's going to do now is he's going to bring all of his sons before him, and he's going to sort of prophesy over them, all right? As a mediator of the blessing, he is able to bestow blessing uh, over his sons, and it's really similar to what Noah did if you were there during that time. So this is like a, a last will and testament of sorts, if you're familiar with those things. So Jacob brings all 12 of his sons before him, all right? And then he begins to prophesy, speak words over them. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. So Genesis chapter 49, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel, or my glory, uh, oh my glory, be joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willingness they hamstrung ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, in the subtitle of your Bible there, it probably says something like, Jacob blesses his sons, right? (laughs) If this is what a blessing is, I want that far removed from me, all right? Like, no, I rebuke that in Jesus' name, all right? So... These aren't blessings, okay, as much as they are prophecies is probably a better word that's used there. Uh, And really uh, what has happened is Jacob is taking the son's former life and kind of prophesying over their future descendants what their lives will look like. This is sort of a your past performance is the best indicator of your future success. If you've ever hired somebody, you've probably heard that phrase or used that phrase yourself because this is a really key piece. And so our point actually becomes really evident immediately when we see these sons today. And it's that what you do, your past, present, and future, it matters, all right? What you do matters. So what you have done in your past will truly affect your present and will assuredly affect your future in different ways. This is why things like children's ministry say is so important because for us to come to know the Lord at an early age rather than make hundreds of stupid mistakes growing up and then come and know him later is a much better way in which that we are able to be protected from the silliness and the consequences of sin. Shameless plug for children's ministry there, right? But like the ability to bless these kids early on is so important or what Sideby is doing what we're doing here at Campbell because what you do matters and it matters from the time you were a child all the way up until you are on your deathbed okay so uh, another way to say this is you reap what you sow 
This is what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. What you reap, you will sow. Paul said in Romans that if you sow sin, you will produce a harvest of sin. But if you sow righteousness, then you will produce a harvest of righteousness. And so it's said all different ways throughout the Bible. But this is an important thrust that we see all throughout Scripture. There's a theological concept that's being worked out here. It's important for us to understand. And that's called a generational blessing or generational curses that happen too. Or generational sin is what you may have heard that as. And so... We see this very clearly today, even in our own culture, and we may not attach a spiritual meaning to it, but the scripture always attaches a spiritual idea for it. So, for example, if the father is an alcoholic, then the son is more likely to be an alcoholic, right? Or we know that he will assuredly have more addictive personality, and so he will have to be more careful than others around him because of what has been passed down by the father. Some of it is just obvious. If you live in and grew up in a a cynical household, you're more likely to be unless there's redemption that happens from the Lord, right? If you grew up without a father, then you're more likely to be an absent father yourself, which is why some communities are plagued with this in a lot of ways because this is a generational curse, a generational sin that is being passed down. And we see this very clearly all throughout scripture as well. So like if you grew up listening to country music, you're more likely to follow the sin of listening to country music. (laughs) Amen? Whenever I say theologically inaccurate things, people are like, amen, preach, brother, come on. All right. So what happens here is that Reuben, the firstborn son, he should have had preeminence. He should have had power. He should have been the number one is what that's saying. He should have been ruler over his brothers, but he lost his preeminence. And as a result, there was no judge, prophet, priest, or king that ever came from Reuben's line. Out of all of Israel's history and all of the judges and prophets and priests and kings, there was none that was ever from Reuben's line. In case you forgot or you weren't here, what happened is Reuben slept with his mother-in-law. And that may sound really crazy, but what it was is it was a a, a coup attempt on Jacob's power. He wanted to jump in to be the power, the authority over his whole family. So he tried to do this in a perverted way. And so what happens is, this is really, really important, okay, so don't miss this, is that Jacob, by demoting Reuben for his uncontrolled sex drive saved Israel from reckless leadership in the future. You tracking with that? Jacob, by demoting Reuben because of his uncontrolled sex drive, he saved Israel and the future from reckless or wayward leadership. It's very similar to Simeon and Levi. They were supposed to be united, the text says, but instead they were actually divided. And there was never this unity. In fact, Simeon ended up being swallowed up by Judah almost immediately as a country. uh, And uh, Levi was spread amongst 48 cities all throughout uh, Israel and Judah as a whole. And so there was never any unity. Unity. They were supposed to be a force for good, but instead they joined together and they really uh, raped the city, if you remember, after the rape of their sister Dinah. So their uncontrolled anger, their inability to kind of understand how to handle this well actually then created uh, negative consequences for the children that would come after them. Now, this is not to say that these things cannot be redeemed because they can. In fact, what happens with Levi later on is that he becomes a zealous force for the kingdom of God, he actually uses this righteous anger that comes up because remember, that story had righteous anger, it was just the consequences were bad, right? What they did with that was wrong. Well, later, Levi has this righteous anger and he actually becomes a protector of Israel as a whole. One of the stories, if you're familiar with the scriptures, are that of Phineas. Phineas was a Levi and he actually killed a man who was doing perverted things and saved Israel from that perversion. So it's not to say that things can't be redeemed or generational uh, curses or sins 
sins cannot be broken, but nonetheless, there are still consequences for your past mistakes. Levi never received any of the land. And so your current decision has future consequences, whether good or bad, okay? What you do in your past, what you're doing today in the present, and what you do in the future, it matters a great, great ton. And this is clear all throughout Scripture, okay? Uh, It affects those around you. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Look at a couple of more sons. Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He was washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulon shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw there a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant of forced labor. So just to give you a couple of more examples, we see that Issachar in that last verse that we read, he was extremely strong. He was a strong man, but he was very, very lazy is what happened. And so because of that, he actually received a curse. He should have used his strength to help those around him, but instead he was lazy in the story that we read throughout Genesis and his future generations proved further that laziness and what ended up happening was they became servants or slaves using their strength in a way that they didn't really desire. So their strength never left them. It was just that they were lazy. They buried their talent in some way. And so now uh, that gets shifted in these different ways. This became very true of them. Contrarily though, Zebulon was actually blessed, we see. In fact, not to belabor the point because we hit on it last week, but he was blessed that he may be a blessing to others. It is a blessing in that culture to dwell by the sea, okay, because you get shipments, you get refreshment, you get water in the middle of a dry land. So that's the lot of land that he got, but he was not just to be a blessing to himself, but also to be a haven for others or a blessing for others. So we see that when blessing is bestowed, it's not just for your consumption, but also for the provision or protection or the flourishing there of others. We'll get back to Judah in a minute, but what you may be thinking is, I see a lot of curses so far, right? Like, Jacob must have been a salty old dude, all right? And uh, the rest of the sons are blessed from here on out, okay? And so the rest of them receive blessings. It's just those few that receive curses. But I'm not going to read, actually, the rest of the sons. You can do that yourself if you want. But I hope you get the picture of what's happening and what, what is going on in this story is that what you do matters. You reap what you sow. There's uh, 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 all this thrust throughout Scripture that all of the things that you are doing, it carries significance. It carries weight. It carries importance, okay? Jesus actually mentioned this a lot of different times, and he mentioned it in very different ways. So it may be hard for us to look at prophecy and even fully understand how prophetic words work over our lives, but Jesus told these same sorts of stories, and he told a lot of them in parables. And I actually want to look at one of those parables today because it just belabors this point that much more. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go to Luke 19 is where we're going to be. Um, and in Luke 19, Jesus is in the middle of telling all these various parables, and this one is called the parable of the mina. And I'm just going to read this whole parable here for you. Uh, Many of you may be familiar with it, but I want to read this whole thing because you'll hear some of the same verbiage that we just talked about used here in Genesis. Jesus is also using now here in the New Testament, right? So Luke 19, starting in verse 11, it says, 
As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because that they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, and you reap where you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Notice there's a question mark, so his uh, understanding of what's happening here isn't even accurate, right? That new could be in uh, quotation marks, if you will, okay? And why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming, I may have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten mina. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. And I tell, I tell you, to, to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, without breaking down this parable too much, I want to notice a couple of things, okay? First of all, notice that the lazy servant, the one where the mind that got taken away, did not get thrown into hell, which is that end of that parable there, right? Those were the people who just utterly rejected and obeyed God, who said, I do not want God as my Lord. I do not want him as my king. I do not want him to reign over us. He said, well, then remove them from me. And so we see two different sets of camps here, right? We see the one who has been removed utterly from God because he has completely rejected God, but there's this other one who has this mina where he is still called a wicked servant, a lazy servant, and that gets taken away from him and then given to the other servants. Now, there was also a faithful one who produced 10 mina extra, right? So he got received 10, then he produced 10 more, and Jesus said to him, well done, you will be over 10 cities, that's a great ROI, right? The return on investment there is he's put that in my 401k, okay? And so Jesus then, he's faithful with a very little, he says, and then because he was faithful with that, he is now over 10 cities. The one who added five, notice that Jesus wasn't mad at that either. He also told him, well done. You will be over five cities. And so he was faithful too. Maybe he wasn't as faithful as the one with the 10, but regardless, he was faithful too. He was reproducing what God had given him. However, the one that was lazy, it was taken away from him. Now notice, he still entered the kingdom, right? He still entered the kingdom because he was given the mina in the first place or he was given the, the gift of salvation, if you will, in the first place. But what he did with that is he ended up burying it and doing nothing with the gifts that God had given to him. And so the Lord removed that mina from him and gave it to the one who proved to be faithful. And do you see where these two stories kind of parallel here? Reuben was the firstborn. He was given the promise of carrying forth the Abrahamic covenant that, that the, the world 
world may end up knowing who God is, that the world may end up coming to him, but Reuben buried his talent in a lot of ways. And so Jacob then removes that preeminence from him and places it onto Judah, who actually showed faithfulness. So what you do matters in that way. And we see Jesus treating these servants in the exact same way that Jacob is treating his sons. And so maybe Joseph or Judah was like the faithful servant that received 10 and they reproduced 10. And maybe Zebulon or Dan or some of these other ones, they were like the ones that produced five. Maybe they weren't as faithful, they weren't as sold out to the mission, but they were still trying to really serve the king. And and the Lord was pleased with that. Jacob was pleased with that and blessed them. So you tracking with this? Does this make sense? Yeah, you see these parallels here? Okay, so uh, it wasn't that, let's say like this, it wasn't that Reuben was removed from the tribe or the family, right? Like Reuben still had a place that was named after him in Israel. It was just that his preeminence got removed. And so in the same way, we see Jesus saying, it's not like these people are removed from the kingdom of God. No, works do not bring you into the kingdom of God in the first place, but some of the gifts, some of the joy, some of the blessing has been removed from that because there was a faithlessness to these people. So the point is very simple, friends. What you do, it actually matters. Like, like what you do genuinely matters. The faithfulness to God, the obedience to God, what you do with the gifts and talents that he gives you, it actually matters. Now, it's extremely difficult to preach a sermon like this, okay? Every time we get into a text like this, it's really hard to kind of balance this walk a little bit because it could sound like what we're advocating for is works. I want you to hear me very, very, very plainly, okay? You are saved by grace through faith not works. Works have no impact on your salvation, okay? We are saved by grace and by grace alone. However, grace that saves ends up working, okay? When you are truly impacted by the God of the universe, your life is genuinely changed, and there is a desire to really serve God or to bless God or to give back to him in various ways, okay? Think of it like this, to use an analogy, If a car was bearing down on you, going 80 miles an hour, right, and maybe you didn't see it, or maybe you were just like, whatever, had your headphones on, couldn't hear it coming down, okay, and I saw, and I realized what was happening, and I run, and I jumped, and I pushed you out of the way, but in the process, my lower body got hit by the car, and I got paralyzed, okay, if you then sit up, and you go, thanks, and then walk away, and never do anything else, all right, it's like, did, did you not realize the danger that you were in and the sacrifice that I made to help you have life where I then received pain from it? Like, at least buy a brother a latte or something, right? Like, and not from Starbucks either, a good one, okay? And so do something there, right? Listen, friends, did you not realize the danger that you were in and what Christ did to redeem you from that? Like, like how, how could we recognize the danger that we were in, recognize what Jesus did to remove us from that, and not give back something to him? It actually doesn't make any logical sense, right? It's like with the sons, Reuben, Levi, Simeon, did you not realize that you were in the very plan of God for the salvation of the world? Did you not realize and take serious the the commands that were given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that with these sons, the, the nations will be blessed? Did you not realize that you had a role to play in that? And they either did and didn't care about it, or they never took the time to understand that in the first place. They have been given a role to play, and they buried their talents. They buried the gifts that God has given them, and they totally rejected the message of God. They were selfish in that way. And so you and I, too, are in danger of doing. Do you not realize that you are in the very salvific plan of God to save the world to himself, friends? I mean, 
hasn't every Christian be called an ambassador of Christ? We are his ambassadors. He uses us in which to redeem the world to himself. He has a plan for our lives, not just for our prosperity, but for the blessing of the people around us. And this is all throughout scripture we see that. And so when God calls us to share the gospel, like, is it not worth maybe losing a little bit of social status that our king may be elevated and lifted up? When God has given you gifts in which to bless the church, is it really appropriate to then be selfish with that as if those were for you and you alone and not give yourself for the sake of other people? Like, like this is us not understanding the gospel is what it is when we begin to act like that. It's not us remembering that, look, we don't deserve to be in the church in the first place, right? Like, like the fact that God has even brought us into his family is grace upon grace upon grace that we could never even exposit, even if given all effort and all ability and the most eloquence, we cannot talk about how much God has saved us from. And then when we just say, oh, thanks, and then walk away, we're burying the gifts that he's given us, right? When we don't follow the commands, the wills of God is to our own detriment. And listen, friends, it affects those who come after us. It affects the people around us. It makes a negative impact on the kingdom at large. So this is why Jesus took away the ten from the lazy servant and gave it to the one who was actually doing something. Because if, like Jacob, would have allowed Reuben to rule, he would have negatively affected all of Israel. And so he removed that and placed it on somebody who actually showed, man, that they can rule in this way, okay? And so this is what uh, uh, God is doing in the salvific plan in a lot of ways of the world. I think about my own life. Before I got saved, I talked way too much, right? Some of you are like, before you got saved, <laughs> <All right. laughs> Let's put it like this. My mouth got me in trouble a lot, okay? And uh, when I was in elementary school, I got 27 referrals, all right? Uh, so you got like written up and you got to have your mom sign it, okay? Uh, don't tell my mom because I forged like 24 of those, all right? And so I was in trouble all the time, all the time. However, when the Lord redeemed me, he began to take control of my mouth. And now what was used to be used to get me in trouble, hopefully he's using to save other people out of trouble, God begins to work redemption in my life, okay, using the talent that he had given me even before I came to know him for his glory. But let's not get it twisted, all right? Let's not act like that I myself have something to, to, to boast in or to offer here because the very gift of salvation was grace in and of itself in the first place. And so now any talent that I use, it is for the glory of God. There's really nothing for me to boast in because without his salvation, I would still just be using it for my own exaltation. In fact, I still still desire to use it for my own exaltation. And that's where the dance of trying to give yourself to Christ and kill the old man comes into play in that I need to continually put that man to death and elevate Christ with my tongue, with my life, because it's a hard battle, right? And so the same is true with whatever gift that God has given you. After he enters into your heart, he begins to change that. You begin to work for him unless you just utterly bury the gift of grace that he's given you. And then there's negative consequence for that, okay? So this is a battle. This is why the grace of God is so important. In fact, Paul says it like this. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses that a man speaks about himself in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And then verse 11 says, whether then it is I or they, so we preach and you believe. See, I love that. Because you see him trying to balance this. It is by grace that we have been saved. This is not anything that I can boast in. But, 
right? Like, like I, am, I am putting forth effort. In fact, when I look at it, it feels like I'm putting forth almost more effort than anybody, but even that effort that I put forth isn't me, but it's God in the first place, right? And so you see this dance that Paul is trying to do here where he's balancing, listen, we are not saved by works. We are not saved by the law, but once we are saved, we do desire to keep the law. We desire to do works. They become a guideline by which we can bless God that much more, but we don't boast in those things because they don't do anything for us in the first place, right? It is the grace of God that does something for us. So what you do matters. It affects your present and your future. Your past decisions and your current decisions affect that, right? You reading the Bible isn't just a good thing to do. It can spell life or death for you and for others around you. Like, like this is serious, right? This is a, a weighty matter here. So don't mishear me, okay? God can redeem the past stupidity of our lives, right? And he can even redeem the current consequences that we find ourselves in. Remember, the Levites broke the generational curse that was above them and used their anger for good things. Or even remember Judah. If you've been here for the Genesis series, you remember Judah was, in a lot of ways, an imbecile, (laughs) right? He's the one that traded Joseph in. It was his idea to sell him. He's the one that then left the family of God and said, I want nothing to do with this whole Abrahamic promise thing. While other ones were kind of acting like they wanted it, but they really didn't. They were just selfish, but they were kind of staying in. Judah was the one that was like, I don't want anything to do with that, and I'm going to utterly remove myself from that. However, in God's sovereignty, he humbled him, and then Judah received the grace of God, and then upon that reception of the grace of God, he began to use Used the grace that was given to him, and he sacrificed himself over and over and over again for the plan of God, for the redemption of the world. We see Judah turn from somebody who wanted nothing to do with God to a leader amongst all the brothers. And because of that, Judah would end up being promised the eternal kingship. Judah responds to the grace that God has given him, and then he surrenders his life and gives himself over and over and over again. Now listen, he's still living with some of the consequences of his past stupidity, right? Like, remember, his son is from his daughter-in-law who tricked him into sleeping with him because he wasn't fulfilling his role and responsibility. So there's still consequences that are there, right? But God was even redeeming that and using that to show how he can take our past mistakes and literally then use them for good. And so God is a God of redemption. So it's not like God can't redeem, but it is important for us to recognize that what we do in the past and what we're doing right now, it matters, It matters, right? We're not blindly living and saying, oh, whatever, oh, whatever, God can do this. Like, listen, this is what we do matters in a lot of ways. Now, here's what happens. Whenever we're at this point of a sermon like this, this always happens. Two things. Either somebody says, see, dang, stupid. I've done too many stupid things in the past, right? And they almost feel like they're unable to be saved by the grace of God. Listen, you did not do as many bad things as Judah or Levi Levi did, right? Like, Like God can redeem even the most uh, foul things that we do. God can draw us to himself. And so you are not past redemption. Here's what actually usually happens more though. What usually happens more is we go, dang, see, I know I should be reading my Bible more. From here on out, I'm gonna read my Bible every morning. And then Tuesday morning comes, you wake up late, you don't make coffee and then you don't read your Bible and you feel guilty. Every time, right, that happens. Because what happens is, is that we begin to try to justify ourselves by our works rather than by the grace of God. And this is why seeing verses like this, what Paul says is so important because there is a balance here in some ways, okay? Listen to me, all right? Please don't miss this. You will never be justified, sanctified, or glorified by your works. 
Okay, you tracking with that? You will never be justified by your works. That is by the blood of Jesus alone that was shed for you. You will never be sanctified by your works. That is the Holy Spirit, which is a gift of a grace of God that redeems you and makes you new. And you will never be glorified by your works. When you get to heaven, you won't say, how many works did you do? 17, let me look at that. Nope, sorry, not you, right? He's going to say, I see Jesus in you. And then you will be redeemed within that. So works do not save us. However, once we are saved, we desire, or at least we try to desire to serve God in this way. If you find an ultimate motivation in your works, it will condemn you. Let's just put it like that. If you try to find motivation in works, it will condemn you. However, if you remember that you were about to get hit by a car, or worse, by the wrath of God, and Jesus steps in, pushes you out of the way, and assumes that for you, and then gives you not just life-saving things, removing you from death, but he gives you life-giving things like talents and the Holy Spirit and community and the mina that Jesus is talking about in this parable. As you remember that, is that not a better motivation anyway? The motivation of works is like drinking uh, poison, okay? In some ways, it may come into your body and even revive you for a moment, but in the long run, it's going to kill you. But drinking from the grace of God is like drinking from the streams of living water. It's like being planted next to the river where you will continue to bear fruit even in your own age. Because here's something that we often miss in stories like this is that there's something even greater happening than generational sin and generational curses and generational blessings that's happening here in Genesis chapter 49. In fact, go back there, if you will, and we're going to end here this morning. In Genesis chapter 49, we see all of these prophecies laid out over the sun. And by the way, in case you're wondering, all of these prophecies, they indeed came true. What you do in your past matters. It truly affects your future, okay? But we see something happen, and that in verse 8, uh, Jacob tells Judah that your brothers shall praise you, okay? Now, without going into all these different pieces of scripture, we know that praise is meant for God and God alone. And yet, this word praise is being bestowed over Judah, particularly the very word for praise that's used all throughout the rest of scripture, it is only ascribed to God. So what is Jacob saying here then? Why is he calling Judah a lion, why is it that he is promising him eternal kingship? What is this washing his garments with wine, which often represents blood? Well, see, Judah's faithfulness did not just end up allowing him to receive a blessing from Jacob, but rather he was preparing himself for an even much greater Judah that would come. The king that was in Judah's loins would end up being none other than the man, Jesus. And his faithfulness, his sacrifice, his willingness to submit himself into the very plan of God allowed the Messiah to come through his loins in that way. Jesus came down from heaven and was the most blessed amongst his brothers, just like Judah became the most blessed amongst his brothers. In fact, Jesus, though, was more blessed than every single creative thing that has ever come into existence. But here's where the mystery of faith comes in. It's that though Judah was the most blessed amongst brothers, his descendant, Jesus, would become the most cursed amongst men. That we who deserve to be the most cursed amongst men would end up being the most blessed amongst all of creation. And this is the beauty of the gospel, right? This is the beauty of what Christ has done for us. Do you see this gospel truth here? Like, like this should begin to do something in our hearts that works will never be able to motivate us to do. In fact, I know that every time something like this is preached, there's this heavy feeling because we're so focused on what am I not doing right and we utterly forget the gospel that's laid out even there in that text. 
Judah became the most blessed, that his descendant would be the most cursed. That we who are the most cursed may end up rising up above this, right? The scriptures say, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Well, this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus then took all of the generational things that were above us and all of the curses and sins and the past mistakes that we have and the present failings and all the things that have been placed upon that. And Jesus assumed that at the cross for us. This is how Judah, this is how Joseph was able to bring forth redemption, and not just redemption, but the very blessing of God in his life. Jesus is a savior that didn't just push us away from an oncoming car. He pushed us away from the wrath of God, friends. The just penalty that we deserve for our sin, Jesus assumed that for us. And the grace that is given, the fact that we could one day spend eternity in heaven with the God of the universe, this is completely undeserved. Jesus freely gives that to whoever may believe. No matter how many past mistakes we have made, no matter how much like Judah we have become, there is redemption for us because somebody has paid for the curses that should have been bestowed upon us. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is where then we desire obedience to God because as we look at this over and over and over again, we remember and this gospel is what then motivates our works. Judah, as we see all throughout, could not have been motivated by simply the promise of Jacob. Because what you see in uh, Judah's life is an utter rejection of that. No, what happens is that the grace of God comes upon his life and it changes who he is. And you see him recall this grace over and over and over again. Even as he is offering himself as a sacrifice before Jacob, he's remembering the gospel. He's remembering that he does not deserve to be in this position, but the grace of God has now changed his heart and has changed his life. And that's what we are called to do, is to remember the gospel And then as we remember the gospel, something happens, and we begin to desire to make much of Jesus. We begin to desire to bless those around us. We begin to desire, as we talked about last week, not just to consume, but rather to be a blessing to those around us. We have to realize what's going on here. Friends, for some of us, we've allowed our past failings to define us for too long, where Reuben, not realizing there's redemption like Judah, And so we just assume this and we kind of sit under this. Listen, friends, the gospel tells us that at belief in Jesus, all of our mistakes can be redeemed. God can take our, our past sins and listen, there still may be consequences, right? But even those he begins to use for the sake of his glory. He begins to elevate. He begins to redeem us. He begins to make us new. And for many of us, we are sitting in this past junk, right? We're sitting in all of this messiness, but if you trust in Christ, he can turn that around. If you trust in Jesus, he gives you a new heart and he gives you a new life. He could break the generational curses that are above you and make you a generational blessing to many who come after you. And in fact, he says this again in Exodus. It says that when we disobey the command, then those curses come to the third and fourth generation. But, but when we obey, then it's blessing to the thousands of generations. Judah In submission to God and obedience to him is the reason that we are blessed today, the thousands of generations later. You tracking with that? What you do today matters because that may affect the thousands of generations later that will know who God is. But we do something by accepting the grace and by looking at the grace of God. 
And so I pray that for those of us who do know Christ, that we would become a people like Joseph, who offered his life, who gave himself up, that we would become a people like Judah, who offered his life, who gave himself up, that we would remember the gospel that has been bestowed upon us and that upon remembering that gospel, it would motivate us to make much of Christ together. But I pray that we would actually do that, that we would not just give wordplay to it, but that we would, we would do this. This is why things like reading the scripture or corporate worship or praying with one another or uh, private prayer or listening to sermons or whatever it may be, these are all important because they're ways that we remember the gospel. And as we remember the gospel, then it motivates us to make much of Jesus around us and to do something in the world around us. We would give our lives to the calling of God and to the blessing of others that Jesus' name would be exalted. And when we fail, we just submit back to the grace of God again. And we ask for Jesus' redemption over and over and over again. It wasn't like Joseph was perfect after he got redeemed. It wasn't like Judah was perfect. It was that they kept submitting to the grace of God over and over and over again. The scriptures say, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. The scriptures also say, blessed is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Friends, we can receive the blessing of God as we call upon the name of the Lord over and over and over again. And then be a blessing to those around us. I pray we would be a church that does that. Pray we would be a church that does that. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I know that hearing things like this can be hard. It's difficult to do the dance of works and grace. Is difficult because we are a people who desire so much to be justified by the things that we do. But if we're honest, God, we do so many things that are so against you, God. Even just in our posture towards you, we forget who you are. We forget what you have saved us from. We act as if you do not exist. If it is works that redeem us, then we are condemned, God. Yet you, Christ, in your grace, you gave us the gospel freely and purely. God, I pray that we would remember that and that it would motivate us to see more and more of who you are, Christ. And then that we would do something about it, God. Let us not just be a people who give wordplay to the gospel, but let it truly begin to impact and change our lives in ways that you are elevated, Christ. Lord, I confess that so often I literally take your grace that has been given to me and I try to use it for my own exaltation. What foolishness, God. Lord, let us not be like Reuben. Let us not be like Simeon. Let us not be like Issachar who use our, our, our gifts that you've given us to try to elevate ourselves, God. Let us lay down our life and then give our lives to you for the sake of your glory, God. Man, help us, Jesus. Help us, God. God, I pray for anybody in here that is wrestling right now with even who you are. God, maybe in their, 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 their past life, God, the, the things leading up to even this morning, there's just been a lot of mess. Maybe there's a feeling of unworthiness or maybe even a feeling of pride that they don't need you. God, I pray that even right now you would minister to those hearts, that you would allow us to know that it is by grace and grace alone and your grace has been afforded to every single person in this room, to every single person in this state, to every single person in this world, God. I pray that even this morning, that they would say, 
God, I can't, I can't work enough, I can't do enough, but I desire to have a relationship with you. Would you save me? And God, would they be affirmed that the grace that you have afforded will literally bring them into relationship with you? Friends, we don't want to hide that this is what we care about most is you coming to know Jesus. So, man, maybe today for the first time you say, I want to enter into a relationship with God. That's you. We're not going to make you stand up or, or do anything strange. But we would encourage you, man, mark that on your communication card. We would love to celebrate with you and, more importantly, to follow up with you to help you learn what does it mean to walk with Jesus God, for the rest of us who know you, God, would you remind us and convict us and challenge us to not just assume this grace and then just live our lives as if nothing has happened, but let us remember what it cost for you to pour out your blood over us, Jesus, that we may be redeemed. God, let us then be ambassadors to the world around us. Help us, God, live so selfishly. Man, help us to not do that, God but to surrender our lives for you, our great king. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your redemption. Praise in your very beautiful name. Amen.